Welcome to the Tradies in Business podcast with your hosts, Warwick Bidwell and Nicole Cox. Divert your phone and grab a brew as Waz and Nick unpack tips, tales, secrets and stuff-ups from guests both inside and outside your trade. Helping educate and inspire you to break the cycle of gut-busting and money stress and create a true trade business. Hey listeners, Waz here and I'm joined by my co-host, Nick, who is currently thinking about sharks. Oh, I was going to sing that Six Months on a Leaky Boat song, but I remembered I can't oh, sing real well. Yeah, I'm not going to sing either. No. But uh, you, you're bummed about today's interview, aren't you? Yeah, I forgot to ask a really important question. <laughs> so much I'm actually going to go and stalk our guest and ask the question on one of his socials. Oh, ask him on Instagram. Yep, done. Ed is an Instagram man. Um, but uh, today's guest, yeah, sharks, and we're talking about the ones that swim in the water. Not the, not do, the do, ones do, in do business. One. Oh, not money, shark. <laughs> Speaking of not singing, mm. um, what is it? Pink Fong? I that, don't even know. Yeah, that's the artist. They got a lot to answer for. That's not an artist. That, how can that be considered an artist? Pink Fong. Anyway, um, today's guest is a yachty. So he's a sailor mm. and an electrician. I like it. And just an all round good bloke, I reckon. Lovely fellow. Um, I've known Ed for a couple of years now. Um, seems he's known me for a bit longer. <laughs> he knows all about my divorce and everything. Well, you are an oversharer. No, uh, I just do it for the likes. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so not true. <laughs> so yeah, we we have a real tradey story today. Love these episodes. I love speaking with our listeners often, um, mm. who are tradies just like you, listener. Out there doing their thing, running their trade businesses. Um, as we say in the interview, Ed's a sparky, he's a dad, uh, he's a partner, and he happens to be a sailor. And um, a terrible jokes person, apparently. Dad jokes. Ed loves a dad joke. Mm. So, um, yeah, really good episode today. Um, Ed shared uh, pretty candidly, actually. Yeah, Ed was great. His life and his business journey. So, yeah, it was, it was a really good chat. And I think he's got some awesome <laughs> lessons if you want to know how to avoid stuffing it up, Ed's got some great tips for you. Mm-hmm. Got some gold for you. No need to be swimming out there with the sharks. No. And another way to avoid swimming with sharks in business. Oh, crikeys. How's that for a segue? It's terrible. Is to go and join the Tradies in Business Trade Desk. Okay. How about we, we make a deal? You don't do crappy segues and I won't sing. No, because my segues do, are do, awesome do, and do, your singing do, do. sucks. Do, 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 do. <laughs> That's not even how it goes. <laughs> how does it go? Just go join the trade desk, Daddy people. Daddy Shark. Oh, you're going to have that song in everyone's head now. <laughs> Tradiesinbusiness.com.au forward slash trade desk. Go find out what we're talking about and avoid the sharks. Please. All righty. Welcome to the podcast, Ed Ray from McKellar Electrical. Real tradie story, mate. Good to have you here. Thanks for having me, guys. Welcome. Hi, Nicole. I think Warwick's just going to leave me to figure this one out on my own as usual. <laughs> it's just like you do it, Nick. It's I don't. Fine. Do, I don't do introductions. I suck at them. Yes, but th- that only works if I know who we're talking to, and I just know this is Ed Ray. That's all I know. Ed's just—he's just a champion of a bloke that. Um, 
has uh, he's got an electrical business and he's a dad and a and a dude and he also happens to have done the Sydney to Hobart yacht race. Say what? Earlier this year, yeah. <laughs> I think you left that out of the bio. So I uh, actually thought it was a bit unusual, to be honest. Um, I know a couple of people that crew on yachts, and mm-hmm. uh, and I I really wanted to talk to Ed about his experience with that and how the freaking hell he ended up actually doing that, mate. So, um, Ed, can you tell our listeners a bit about, well, who you are, not right now, I guess, but like, how did you end up in the business? How did you end up on a boat? And um, were the waves really, really big and shit scary? <laughs> yeah, it was actually at times. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's a long story, of course. Uh, everyone's got a long story about how they come to where they are. But, um, yeah, I've been an electrician for 20 years. And um, I sort of uh, stumbled into contracting for myself unwillingly, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it's um, I, I've, it, I've only just come to this point where I'm sort of um, really enjoying what I'm doing and getting into running a business and all of that sort of thing. So, and a lot of that is sort of um, stemmed from all this other stuff that I've been doing. So, yeah, it's been really good. Um, so, when you say f- stemmed from all this other stuff that you're doing, mate, what are you referring to? Uh, well, yacht racing. Um, I was just a um, a bit of a harbour sailor, I guess sailing around on Sydney Harbour, grew up doing it as a kid and um, went away from from it for a while, get married and have kids and all of that sort of stuff. And most most guys get into their 20s and go away from it. And um, then I sort of came back into it, got a bit more interested again and back into harbour sailing and stuff. And uh, the Sydney to Hobart, it just seems to be one of those things, you know, every sailor wants to do it. It's a bucket list item. So it's always just been sitting there on the, the bucket list. And, um, yeah, the circumstances came around where I could finally do it. I've got to be honest. I think it sounds terrifying. It, it's like it wouldn't even feature on my list, let alone a bucket list. <laughs> yeah, well, I actually kind of went into it really blindly. I had no idea what I was doing. I can imagine. Yeah, so we did the the whole season, the build-up of the uh, offshore races for the season. It starts in the middle of winter. So the first race, Sydney to uh, Southport up on the Gold Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, had, um, I went into that race thinking, oh, yeah, no worries, we're going to just go for a sail. And, um, yeah, I was pretty wrong about that. <laughs> <laughs> how, how wrong were you about that, Ed? Yeah, well, we, um, middle of winter, first night out, um, you know, I'd hardly even sailed out of the Sydney Heads before, you know, to be honest. And, um, yeah, I, it, I was um, seasick. Mm-hmm. It was awful. It was rough, cold, wet. And, um, yeah, I was throwing up over the side. And I remember sitting there just thinking, oh, when, when does the fun start? <laughs> it's, it's not sounding uh, very glamorous, mate. It, it's, it's nothing at all like the brochures of sailing in the Whit Sundays. Yeah, no, it's definitely not. Uh, yeah, you're not sipping on cocktails or 
and stuff. So it's, right, it's that, a right. That's exactly why it's not on my right. list. Cop- yep, Cop- done. Cop- out, out. Over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a race, so every second counts, and um, yeah, it's a um, pretty full-on um, environment. Um, we're we're sailing on a competitive boat, and a lot of money goes into it. So um, yeah. It's um, very well drilled and, um, yeah, it's not a cruise. <laughs> I'm going to assume that each member has their own vital role to play. Like I can imagine being competitive, being that it would be really fast-paced. My assumption is that each person would have their sort of one or two things they do on the boat rather than everybody just reacting to what's going on at one time. Is that right? Yeah, so it's a team. It's it's pretty much a team. So our boat has got 12 guys on it and it's like a footy team and uh, everybody has their spot. And, of course, there's a bit of crossover and stuff and there are times when you're uh, off watch. So downstairs you have to be able to jump in and do some of the other things that uh, maybe aren't in your normal job. But um, you pretty much have your one one spot on the boat and, um, yeah, that's how it works. So I'm just thinking about everything I've ever seen on open sea is really quite rough. And obviously I'm only basing it on the Hollywood blockbusters where they're trying to sell me the fear of the big sharks and the big waves and we're all going to die. And how realistic is that? Is it, Are there times where it is really quite smooth sailing, pardon the pun, oh, or is it? Smooth sailing. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Kind of like business really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, or, of course there are times and there's a lot of time where you – it's sort of uh, moments of peaceful or a lot of time where it's peaceful and tranquil and nice and calm and then moments of terror as well. So, yeah, there are times when, the you know, dolphins might come up to say hello and the, the sun's setting over the horizon and you think, oh, how great is this? This is amazing. Mm-hmm. And then you know, things can change in the ocean pretty quick. So, yeah, it can be um, fairly exciting. Very challenging, I would think. So, so you talked, Ed, about that, you know, six-month lead-up. So you've done your first um, open water gig uh, sailing up to Southport. Did you did you think maybe it was uh, not for you after that, mate? You know, throwing up over the side and cold and wet and everything? Yeah, I think it probably took me about 24 hours to just get my head right. So, you know, and you're sleep-deprived, cold, wet. I sort of, you know, I probably quit the whole ocean racing thing about four times in that <laughs> night. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it was probably yeah, about 24 hours in where I went. I just gave myself a pep talk and went, you know, not not many people get to do this and it's, you know, it's because it's hard. It's not because it's fun or easy or, you know, a nice relaxing thing to do. It's because it's a challenge. So. Yeah, I think once I sort of embraced that, then then I could get into it. And, um, yeah, from then on it's been, yeah, it, it gets better, I think, all mm. the time. Now, you mentioned there's been a bit of a journey to get to this stage. It's it's more than just doing some open water racing, mate. Uh, and I know you've chatted to me before we did the, well, scheduled this interview about, you know, I guess some of your backstory to the Sydney to Hobart, and I want you to talk us through that um, that race, mate, because it must be an epic experience. 
Um, but but what's been the lead up to this? You know, what sort of as as the starters gun went off um, for the for the Sydney to Hobart, mate? Uh, like what led to that? Uh, well, I guess it comes from um, I I, um, I worked for McKellar Electrical as an employee, and um, the boss he was an older guy. Um, a real, like, just generous, great boss. And uh, he'd said to me, you know, he'd always said, one day all of this is going to be yours. And um, so it, I was kind of tied to him and um, I, I just stuck around with him uh, uh, probably longer than I should have in a business sense. And um, along the way... I, I had a marriage breakdown, um, you know, d tough stuff. And um, it was probably two weeks after my marriage broke down that um, he went, all right, I'm retiring, all yours. Oh, gosh. Good timing, mate. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it was basically like, uh, you know, everything went upside down in, in the space of two weeks and, um it was like uh, a whole different uh, world for me. Mm. And um, it's, you know, basically the last three years have been starting from scratch again. And so it, it was like a, doing this Hobart race was a, a goal to work towards. And I think just getting, it, it didn't, I didn't realise it until we made it there, until we'd finished and that I went, yeah, you know, everything seemed good to me, that we'd mm. done it, um, you know, a goal that I'd set out to do and um, achieved it. We had a really good race and we we actually won our division. Mm -hmm. So it was like, you know, this huge rush of euphoria and, of course, a lot of other work went into it, but um, it sort of, uh, it just felt like, the closing of the chapter for everything that had happened before. It's so often like that, isn't it? Um, it's it's uh, not until after we've done something like that, and and I know um, like nothing like this in it over. I'm sitting here thinking, <laughs> yeah, it's like that time I did a half Ironman, you know, seven hours. And I'm thinking, holy shit, man, how many days were you on the water? <laughs> uh, and I'm going to compare that to a seven hour. <laughs> <laughs> swim bike run but um i know when i got to the end of those races that i did particularly the first one i did um had epic cramps and like it was just it was shit i was underprepared and i literally cried at the end of it and it wasn't because i was upset it was because everything else from my life sort of flooded into that moment is is that is that what it was like for you ed yeah. i mean that's exactly it and it's not i don't think it's about what you do or you know Ironman or sailing or go and climb Everest or whatever it is it's like you know this is what we set out to do and we've achieved it and it's you know um yeah it was a a good feeling I'm I'm, uh, I'm gonna jump in <laughs> go for it so um mate what's going through your mind um on the on the start line, I'm going to bounce around a bit here because I do want to come back to your backstory, Ed, and I, I know there's more in there that uh, that we'll dig up. And listeners, Ed was actually 
um, when we spoke about this, I'm going to out him a bit here. When we spoke about doing this chat uh, and a real tradie story, he was like, oh, you know, I, I, there's a lot of stuff I want to share. I tend to share a lot, but it might be a bit much for people. And I was like, no, man, it's, I actually want to hear about that side of things. Um, so I might let Nicole, she's sort of the, the you know, actually, you're not a soft feminine influence. You're dropping me into it. You're again. a hard-ass, Hard-ass, hard-nosed <laughs> bitch. Um, but, mate, start line, all this preparation, you know, years of backstory and... Well, is it, do they still use a gun or is it a horn these days? Uh, I used to be. Yeah, they use gun. Gun, yep. A, a cannon. A cannon, cannon, that's oh, wow. right. Yeah, yeah. It's the proper little uh, black powder jobby, isn't it? Yeah, and I think we were actually uh, quite fairly close to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't quite prepared for that. Bit of hearing loss along the way. Yeah, but it, yeah, it's an exciting day. Um, you know, Everyone gets down to the yacht club down at Rushcutters Bay there in Sydney and, um, you know, families come down to see you off and um, my parents came up from the country to come and see me off and there's, you know, thousands of people and you get out on the harbour and there's boats everywhere and, you know, it's the busiest day on Sydney Harbour. Mm. And there's this, you know, the middle of the harbour is, is, is cordoned off to all the boats so it's kind of peaceful in the middle. And we actually... Um, just sailed up towards the heads and as we were, we were coming past one of the markers there, there was a huge seal just oh, sitting there wow. on the markers and, yeah, it was this funny moment because, you know, I've sailed on Sydney Harbour for, for years and years and years and never seen a seal like that and, um, yeah, it was crazy on this, this busy day mm. and there he was. Is that like sailor's luck or something, mate? Does that exist? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> we'll just make that up anyway. So, like seeing a mate or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think you'd be drinking too much if you saw one of them, mate. Um, so, mate, uh, let's rewind a little bit. Um, you, I guess, you know, you talked about marriage breakdown. Um, two weeks later, the boss has said, right, I'm out, you're in. Uh, mate, what happened next? How the freaking hell did you cope with all of that? Um, Other than listening to the podcast. Yeah, I did listen to the podcast. <laughs> I, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's actually funny because a lot of that time I don't really remember. Mm. It's um, it's funny, like, the way that you, your mind works. I remember, um, you know, I quoted a job from that time and the client didn't um, get back to me for months and months, three or four months. And uh, I went and did the job and I, I rocked up at the site and um, couldn't remember it, couldn't remember everything or, or, you know, anything. And uh, did the job and I actually had a win on it. But, um, yeah, it was – I came away from it going, wow, like um, – how powerful is your mind when you, you can't, you know, I must have just been in a haze, you know. Mm. So um, Trauma does yeah. some pretty serious stuff to our mind yeah, yeah. and it really does, it almost sets a pause so you've got time yep. for your mind to just spin without you consciously knowing what's happening, you know. It's like that that, that space that you require. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, and it is. And, um, yeah, it, it is trauma and... Um, yeah, it was a difficult time, um, but yeah, I got through it. Um, 
lots of hard work and um, soul searching, I guess. Um, I I quit alcohol. Mm-hmm. That's a you know been a huge thing for me. Um, nearly two years without drinking alcohol now. That's and, awesome. Um, is there a yeah, reason that's... why you did that, Ed? Sorry, mate. It's like, what was behind that decision? Was it affecting you or something, or was it just something you wanted to do? Um, I think I just uh, wanted to try something different. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you, you sort of, as a tradie, come home from work, have a few beers, relax, whatever it is, and you get into the habit of just doing that every day mm-hmm. and um you know you just sort of go well this isn't working so i just tried something different and um yeah it's been um so good for productivity and just clearness <laughs> of mind. no more hangovers mate yeah and um you know i i don't um in social situations feel like i need to anymore i just you know i still have a good time and and go to things and um, yeah, it's good. And you save a buttload of cash that you can spend on sailing too, mate. Yeah, well, and the other good thing about the sailing that we do, though, is that it's other people's money. So. <laughs> you don't have to buy the boat, mate. I actually spend my money on going skiing, which is way better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love skiing. That's right, because you, you uh, recently went to Japan and mm-hmm. did the snow skiing over there, which is why this episode didn't happen earlier. It's Ed's fault, because uh, he was <laughs> off swanning Ed around Japan. Yeah. But that's that's always, well, I was going to say it's unheard of, mate, uh, a tradie taking holidays. Like, you've done the Sydney to Hobart and you've been to Japan skiing, like... Um, and you're an electrician, mate, so clearly you're charging too much. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> mate, uh, how, like, three years since you took over the business, is that right? Three years, yeah. Yeah. Um, how have you gotten to this point from the, you know, that point uh, two weeks after the, the marriage breakdown where it's like, right oh, I'm a business owner. Um, what was that like, mate? What was it like to sort of step into those shoes? Yeah, it was, I mean, it doesn't really feel like um, that's that's what I did, if that makes sense. I don't know, because because of the way that it happened and the timing of it, it was just like, you know, I just have to do what I have to do now. So it wasn't a, um, now I'm the, the boss or anything. Mm. It was just, um, it was kind of like swim or sink, you know. Um you know, take you know, going on these things, going sailing or going skiing or whatever it is, it was a conscious decision. It's not that I'm, you know, making tons of money and, you know, let's go and do this and that. It was, you know, um, I think coming from the marriage breakdown where I didn't put my family first and um, I just made that decision where that's a better way to be is to say, we're going to do this stuff for, you know, enjoy your life, I guess. And, you know, I don't think anyone ever went to their deathbed saying, gee, I wish I'd worked a bit more. No, but it's a common problem in that I think typically for men especially is you're out there trying to make a great buck to support your family so that your family can have this nice lifestyle, but you get so wrapped up in working that 
often that family time is neglected and it's really, I understand that the balance is hard to find. So the paradigm shift that you've had in that understanding that in working so hard, you've made the sacrifice with the family, you've missed out on that family time. Was that a bit of a bitter pill to swallow when you finally realized what was happening there? Yeah, it it was. And um, unfortunately, it was too late Mm. by then. It was too far gone. But um, I wouldn't have been able to um, see it how I do now without going through that. Yes. So um, I'm I'm actually grateful that I've been through that because it's um, it's it's enabled me to to go. You know, like if if my daughter comes and says to me, "Let's go and do something," I always make the time for it Mm. because you don't get that back. You know, you can always go and do that quote that you were supposed to be doing or whatever it is that somebody was hassling you for, um, but you can never get that time back with your family Mm. you know I um when my daughter was born I took the week off to um to stay at home you know and be the the new dad and um because of circumstances it was a difficult birth and um she didn't arrive until all my leave was used up and Mm. I had to go back to work so I wasn't there to bring her back from the hospital Mm. and um, I always remember that, but, but um, I don't remember what I was doing at work that day. No. Yeah. And it- so yeah, it's you just have to um, you have to make that conscious decision that this is my priority, and um, yeah, I wouldn't have got there without circumstances that happened. Though. It's interesting. I had a conversation with a tradie. Uh, sort of this morning actually <clears throat> about about this sort of thing. I won't mention his name, but if he listens to this, I know he's an avid listener to the show. He's going to know I'm talking about him. Um, but uh, he's he's basically spent the last uh, I think seven years, six or seven years in his business, um, trying to get it to the stage where it's making enough money, quote unquote, to get engaged, get married, um, pay for the wedding you know, save the deposit for a house, buy a house, do all those things. And, you know, seven years have gone by and he hasn't quite got there yet. And his partner is, rightly so, somewhat exasperated with him, um, pretty much thinking he should just go get a job and and stop putting all this stuff off. But the reality of it is he and he's and he's reached this decision fortunately of saying i actually just need to commit to those things and find a way to make it work even in the business and it's amazing when we commit to some of these things how we then find ways to make our business more successful to get more profitable work in the door to reduce our overheads or you know get some time back because it's i think until we commit to those things it's easy just to make excuses and and avoid the the really tough decisions so um, you know, guys like you, Ed, have a unique perspective, I guess, where you've lost a lot um, along the way. But it, it, without that, you don't get that incredible clarity that you probably have in your life now. Would that would that be a fair observation, mate? Yeah, definitely. I would uh, I would agree with that. Um, and I was like that. I was like that guy, you know. And you know, you you never 
ready. You're never ready for, you know, anything in life, are you really? Like who is? So I think you just gotta you just gotta get in and do it and um and make it happen like make things work. There's no other way to do it, you know. If you if you wait until you're ready, you're never gonna be ready. <laughs> so true. Yeah. So still on the business, Ed, uh, you know, it wasn't sort of that cut and dried transition, but but you've stepped into business owner role. What's been some of the the biggest lessons you've learned um, over the last few years as a business owner now? Uh, I think the biggest one is um, learning that you can't do everything. So, uh, yeah, I was, a, I was trying to do everything and always, you know, um, trying to, you know, uh, not spend money. <laughs> so trying to reduce costs. So, you know, doing my admin myself or doing um, bookkeeping or, you know, whatever it is. So I think that's been a big lesson is to go, this isn't what I do. It, it takes me four hours for what it could take an expert bookkeeper one hour. Mm. So let's just pay them to do that and yeah. um, it's not as hard to do as you think. You, you can get people that will work by the hour. I have an admin assistant who works for me one hour a day mm-hmm. and, um, it, you know, you're not wasting hours of your day doing stuff that you hate and that you're not good at. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. How did you come a- to that point, Ed? How did you come to realise, like, handing over the reins for those kinds, especially those kinds of responsibilities can be really challenging for us to say, okay, here's the the backdoor key to my business. I need you to help me with my paperwork. How did you get to that point where you were ready to hand it over and say, I need help? Um, oh, I think I probably nearly had a nervous breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> so common. <laughs> Someone actually just pointed out to me that if you did it like this, it might, you know, uh, make your life a bit easier. So it really is a no-brainer once mm-hmm. I realised that. Um, yeah, but, you know, I was sitting at, at home at night. This is a pretty common story, I reckon. Mm-hmm. Come home from work, work worked a 10-hour day or whatever it is come home, sit at a desk and tap out emails or invoices or whatever it is for four hours and then uh, all of a sudden my wife's gone to bed, you know, haven't seen my daughter and then we're up, do it again the next day. Mm. I think you just have to um, trust that someone else can do it better than you Mm. and they can you, as long as you've got the control over what they're doing and keep an eye on it, um, there are people that can do it for you and do a great job. I liken it to being a tradie, really. You know, there's a reason why I, as a consumer, calls a tradie to do my electrical work. It's the same for the book work, isn't it? And I just think it's the, the crucial step that a lot of tradies miss is that understanding that there's horses for courses and professionals for various jobs and it's actually going to cost you less than it does for you to sit there and try and bash away at it all weekend. Even if we take the personal cost out of it, the financial rewards from going to work and doing that four hours work where you earn 400 bucks and you pay the bookkeeper, you know, 150 to do the hour and a half's work, that just is common sense. But we forget that we get bogged down in the fact that I can't, my business can't afford it right now. Well, actually, it's costing your business money not to do it. Yep. 
So obviously you wouldn't recommend everybody have a nervous breakdown to get to that point, Ed. Uh, were there some signs that you ignored leading up to that? Oh, I'm sure there were. Um, I think if you, I think when you're at that point when you're just manically running from one job to the next, and you just feel out of control, that's a pretty good sign, mm. I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was there. So what do you wish you'd done? You know, it's, it's, we often avoid doing this, and, and I guess we sort of get told that you shouldn't wish for things and you shouldn't have regrets. I've changed my position on that a little bit in uh, recent times. Uh, is there anything you wish you'd done differently? Oh, that's a stupid question. I know the answer is yes, mate. <laughs> um, what do you wish you'd done differently, either in the business or just along the, the way? Yeah, I guess. I mean, it, it is funny though. It's like I said before, I don't actually regret any of that stuff mm. and I am grateful that I've been through all of that because I'm in such a good place now that, um, you know, it's I'm kind of the belief that things happen for a reason and um, for me to get to where I am now, uh, yeah, it just couldn't have happened without me doing it the hard way. I'm one of those guys that has to learn by <laughs> by the difficult experience, and uh, and I I would agree with that, mate. Um, so the reason I ask that question is for people listening to this who haven't got to the nervous breakdown stage, maybe haven't you know the marriage hasn't fallen apart yet, haven't lost everything, kind of thing. It's like what what are some of the the early warning signs you know you talk about um sort of running around doing everything yourself if uh you know not to change the current path but you know if you did go back and change anything as far as that whole uh you know somebody else with that opportunity what what should they be looking for mate uh i guess yeah i mean the one thing that you would i would do differently is like i said get help Get help for what you need. Get the experts to do it. Um, do what you're good at. And um, for the signs, yeah, I guess it's just um, if, if you just feel out of control. Mm. I'm interested to know if, if I can just take you back there for a minute, Ed, because um, I feel that this is probably a pretty common tale for our listeners. I, I, I know that we hear it quite frequently that – our listeners are in a difficult spot where marriage is broken down or a business is in trouble or something's going wrong. There's a major shift for them that's uncomfortable. And one of the questions I always like to ask of the people that have been through and are now on the other side of that is, what was it for you that, I guess, helped you get out of that immediate hole of, oh my God, my marriage is broken down. Oh my God, now I have this business that I'm supposed to pick up and run the ball with. What was there a point of support for you? Was it something inside of you that kicked in? What was it that sort of got you through that time? Yeah, well, I, I'm not afraid to say that I, I got therapy. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, talking to someone. I, I, um, when I first started going to see someone, I thought, oh my god, like, you know, I, I was actually talking to a, um, a stranger in the pub. Just a random guy, and I said, "Oh, I've got to go and see this shrink." You know, like it seemed like such a 
American thing to do, you know, and go and talk about your feelings and all of that stuff. And what he said to me was, it's just a, a brain coach. That's, That's a great way to look at it. <laughs> Footy players have, you know, a coach for this and a coach for that, mm. you know, every other thing, and no one thinks they're, um, you know. Yeah, broken doing- or shit or anything else. No. Yeah, so, yeah, once I sort of thought that, it's like, yeah, okay. And it's actually like um, it, it's good having a therapist because it's just like having a friend that you, you can talk to but you don't have to listen to any of their crap. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh, that's awesome, mate. You, you pay for the right to, to have a one-way conversation <laughs> with them. <laughs> so, yeah, awesome. but, uh, you know, you do, yeah. It, it takes a lot of work. Yes. And, yeah, I've been through all of that to get to here. Mm. And, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't change that either. I would recommend it to, to anyone who's struggling mm. to talk to someone. I think it's a healthy exercise for everybody, full stop. I, I, it's something that I touch base with and I regard myself as having pretty stable mental health. But even for me, you know, at least every couple of years, I'll spend six months with a therapist just talking through my stuff because there's always stuff and sometimes that's creeping in. You don't understand that that's impacting something that you're doing or behaviours or so much I've learned about myself is the little things I do every day and what they, the impact they then had on my children that I see now that they're all young adults, you know. So then I need to maybe touch back and deal with some of that stuff within myself and becoming okay with it. You know, I, it's a constant, it's like having a fitness coach or a business coach or as you said, any other coach, we're stronger people because we work on these things for ourselves. And I think there's a lot of power in sharing that tale and and the the mind coach that's that's a great way to look at it because it's the truth and we do we we put these sports players on pedestals because they are doing some of these things to make themselves stronger fitter and healthier and that includes their mind so why shouldn't the rest of us be doing it as well it's really important have you found that that's had a really positive impact in the way then that you parent your daughter yeah absolutely and uh you be, I'm a lot more aware of what I'm doing and the patterns. I can recognise patterns of my behaviour, which, um, you know, didn't have any clue about before. Mm. But, um, yeah, and you still do the same things that you've always done, but you can recognise it mm-hmm. and, uh, oh, I'm doing that thing again. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Change it. Mm. Yeah, it's that awareness is really a big part of that, isn't it? Yeah, and, you know, before doing any of that and, you know, when I was in my marriage, I didn't have any awareness of any of that stuff or how my behaviour affected other people or, you know, any of that. So um, it's definitely a a good thing to do and um, just having that awareness. So... uh Ed, I want to I want to hear more about the race, mate. The, the <laughs> cannon goes off. You, you've got ringing in your ears because you were too close to it, and you weren't wearing ear pro. Um, what uh, What happens next, mate? So Boxing Day, you're out of the heads eventually. Um, 
obviously there's the initial excitement, but uh, can you can you run us through? I mean, I know it's really hard <laughs> to run us through a, a yacht race, one of the most iconic yacht <laughs> races in the world. But um, but what unfolded over the coming days, mate? Yeah, well, you, you sort of you settle into your jobs over the first few hours, and we you get into the um, the shift watch system, and uh, it. It was a a nor'easter, so it's it's a you know pretty windy but downwind, and um, it's it's good weather for heading down south down the coast, and um, we were in the watch system first night, uh, late that night it was probably about ten or eleven o'clock. It starts getting really dark and you know going into a, a cloud. You could see the lightning off in the distance and we're doing about, it was, I think it was about 18, 19 knots, which is probably, you know, about the max for this boat. We're really surfing along. And, um, yeah, I was starting to get a little bit scared. It was getting dark. And um, the skipper, he says to me, oh, just, go, um, just go put your head down in the hatch and um, tell everybody to get their life jackets on and they're, their harnesses and uh <laughs> what happened to the heart rate when that happened mate? yeah i kind of went oh okay <laughs> mine's it, elevating it and i'm sitting in studio hello <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't mean that you're sinking or you know anything like that but it is a requirement that if you're up on deck at night you got to have your life jacket and your harness on mm-hmm. so it's um, you know, that's just everyone be ready because shit could go wrong really quickly here. Yeah. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so if you're in your bunk, got your life jacket and your harness on, you're ready to go. There's no, yep. you know, mucking around for five minutes to mm. get all your gear wrong. So, yeah, that was the first night and I sort of thought, oh, this is, um, yeah, this is on. Yep, yep. <laughs> And then, because uh, was it 96, the... 98. 98, yeah. Um, yeah I... so this was the 20th anniversary of that year, of the famous year. Yeah, so yeah. So pretty, you know, everyone's conscious of that. It's been, uh, the last few years have been pretty benign and, um you know, everyone says you, you're never too far away from a bad one. Mm. So, um, you know, it, the, the build-up, you're pretty nervous watching the weather systems and stuff. And, um, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's a bit of a nervy sort of time. Mm. Um, for, for anyone who's not followed, the uh, the Sydney to Hobart 98 was a was a, well, a catastrophic year really for, for the race and for yachting. Um, where a lot of lives were lost and um, a lot of boats lost uh, in some pretty wild weather. But the the safety and everything is, has been continually improved and tightened up over the years. There's probably some interesting parallels to the, the construction industry, to be honest. Um, but, mate, uh, obviously those things must go through your mind. How do you prepare for the, the fear or, or the potential for that that fear to actually stuff up your performance and your decision making along the way. Um, yeah, I, it, there was a lot of uh, preparation that went into it, and um, 
Yeah, I guess I, I just had that uh, in the back of my mind. I was conscious of it, but try not to think about it too much. And um, I, I actually went and did the uh, ocean survival course for the race, which was really cool. Um, you go and learn all the theory and all of that stuff, but also they take you out to the the Qantas base in Sydney here and throw you into the um, simulator pool, turn the lights off and make it rain and, you, you know, blow up rafts and you got to get in and, yeah, it's wow. pretty realistic. And there was actually one guy that was in, in my raft that was properly freaking out. Mm. Um, yeah, it was pretty realistic. The guy, you know, another guy from his crew said to me, well, you know, this is just a pool, don't you? Pool mm. <laughs> bugger. <laughs> pool or not, I'm freaking out, man. Oh, I'd, I'd, yeah. Oh, I think you're incredibly brave. Uh, the the concept of being out on that open water with all these creatures under the water. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's not the creatures you've got to worry about. No, I know, but it, the, the, it's the elements. It's the, it's, it's yeah, I don't know. I think you're incredibly brave. I just, it's not a, something yeah. I can challenge myself to do. Just stay on the boat. <laughs> you're, you're a- None of the knowers can get you when you're on the boat. No. The rule is step up to the raft. So. <laughs> I like it. Your boat has to be sinking before you're getting off. Yeah. <laughs> Does anybody take a basketball though in case you do go off and you end up on an island? I just, you know, oh, somebody's no. got a... Another Wilson reference. That's <laughs> shocking. Good thing your name's not Wilson. All right, so how many days on the ocean, Ed, before you uh, make sight of land again? Three days. Wow. Yep. Three days we came uh, around the bottom of Tassie and um, the, the wind changed and we got it about 50 knots straight into the face. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it was pretty wild, but um, that was for the last sort of 12 hours into in the Hobart. So all the fast boats, they missed all of that mm. and the, the boats in the middle of the fleet sort of got into it. And um, it was actually really fun. I, um, <laughs> I, I was really, I was glad that we had that, and that it was it was at the end because it was like, all right, we're nearly there now, so let's just knuckle down and yeah. and and um, I actually just sat there on the rail for twelve hours and and didn't move. Wow! So I didn't I didn't go off shift. I didn't go to the toilet. I didn't eat anything. I just sat there and did my jobs. And um, yeah, we had a we had a good finish. We we passed a few boats in that um, that little leg up to up the Derwent, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it was really good. Nice, mate. So so with that, so fifty knots in the face. Basically, you guys were working upwind that whole time, having to tack your way. Yep. Yeah. Nice. Uh, I'm I'm a I'm a wannabe yachty mate. <laughs> you don't have you sea don't legs. Tack from your job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I used to actually race. I, I raced did when you? I was a young bloke. Yeah. Um, just closed water stuff, but I I did some longboard racing and uh, you know I used to race with guys who'd come out of minnow class and and um, uh, racing skiffs and that sort of stuff. So yeah. You're was, speaking another language. You lost ro- me. I was right into my sailing, so I'm a bit jealous actually. Sydney Hobart's not on my bucket list. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm not a big fan of drowning, but uh, but I love yachting. So anyway, um, you had a question, Coxie. I was just going to ask, how do you mentally 
prepare when you know that that shift is coming. So my understanding, very rudimentary of course, is that you get to a certain point on the course and it nearly always shifts in a point, uh, whether that be the 50 knot, am I saying the right words, headwinds hitting you. How do you prepare yourself mentally for that change? You know that's coming, but you can't predict when the change is coming. Well, it was funny actually because um, it nobody on our boat um, predicted it. So it, it kind of pulled our pants down a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, um, we had all the sails up and we... Yeah, we tore a sail because we were, you know, had a sail up that we shouldn't have. And um, so I actually didn't know what was coming, so I didn't have to prepare for it. Mm. That's the best yeah. way to prepare is just surprise. So. Just go with it. Surprise. <laughs> Once we were in it, though, yeah, we were in it. And um, it's the, yeah, I, I'm not the world's most experienced ocean racer, so it was probably the, the wildest weather I've been out in. And, um yeah, it was, you know, it, you, you got to um, trust in the people that you're with. Yes. And uh, it's back to that, you know, team mm. thing. We had some really experienced guys. Mm. Uh, I think one of the, we had a guy who's done 28 Hobarts on our boat and the, the skipper's done 12, uh, the boat captain's done 20. So, you know, we had some really experienced guys. Mm. It was only me and one other guy who'd never done a Hobart before. Wow. So... You know, knowing who you're with and putting your trust in them is a, you know, that was a, a big thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm. So the the last uh, couple of questions I wanted to ask you about, Ed, was to do with team, right? So you're living in close quarters for three odd days, uh, you know, pretty cramped on a racing ocean-going <laughs> yacht. Uh, mate, what is... I guess, what does it take to stay together as a team in that sort of setting? Because there's so many parallels to running a business and, and being a trader. You know, you, you're in each other's face. You've all got a, a role to play. Everyone's tired, working hard. There's a lot of uncertainty. Um, what are some of the things that really make that work and work well? Communication. Mm-hmm. So, it, yeah. Um, being able to um, communicate what it is that you need from the other people or um, how to get something done, uh, that's a big one. What about your roles, mate? You, you've mentioned a few times, you know, you you all have jobs and and, you know, I'll sort of answer the question, but... You know, what level of clarity does everybody have about their job? And if something's going down, how do you deal with, you know, do you grab it? Does he grab it or she grab it? Like, how do you deal with those things that come up that are outside of your normal sort of role on the on the boat? Yeah, I mean, and that those things do happen, especially if someone's off watch or, you know, doing something else or whatever it is. So, yeah, I mean, you do have to jump in and and um, and get into it sometimes. Um, there can be a lot of big personalities on these boats. So there's often a lot of shouting and, uh, well, that's the other thing. You're in a storm. You can't hear anything either. So um, it, it, it's a lot of um, visual communication as well. 
and but um, knowing what you know, knowing your job and that the other guy can do his job and working together like that. Preparation and trust. Same in business. Yeah, and a lot of preparation goes into these races mm. and training and you know, a lot of time and practice. Mm. Uh, so mate, what what was the biggest thing you took away from the race? For me, it was just getting there. My goal was to just get there, just finish it. You know, it, before the race, everyone was talking about, oh, you know, I'm going to do this or that and this weather doesn't look good for us winning or whatever it is. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I don't really care about winning. I just <laughs> want to get there. Mm. <laughs> just want to get to Hobart. On the yeah. boat, not in the yeah. water. Yeah, we're in a life raft or a chopper <laughs> or anything get, like that. Get one out of the way. Get this one out yeah. of the way and... Then we can think about winning next year. Yes. So, so that that's yeah. that's my follow up. Ed is uh, what's next, mate? Are you, mm-hmm. are you doing the the twenty nineteen Sydney Hobart? Yes. Nice. Wow. Nice. It's the seventy fifth anniversary this year. So how could you not? Absolute. Sounds like a reason to me. You won't be so yep. close to the the starters cannon this time <laughs> around, mate. I'll be more prepared for it. <laughs> <laughs> now, mate, I've, I've got another question that I uh, like to ask our guests, and um, and I especially like to ask our tradies, our real tradies that come on the show. You, you're an electrician, mate. You've got your own electrical business there in Sydney. Uh, you just happen to have done the Sydney to Hobart, you know, no big deal, but um, <laughs> and won it. <laughs> Not, not to mention. Well, we won our division. We didn't win it. Mate, a win. Let's a win. just go with win it. A win is a win. You didn't win outright. What is it, line honours? But but you won your division. Yeah, we were never going to win line honours. No, but, uh, no, you need you need more cash than you guys would have had, mate. Uh, yeah. So what if you had a thousand tradies in a room, riveted to your story, Ed? What's one thing you would love to share with them? One piece of advice, or or one lesson from life, or business, or, or yachting? I think it's that thing of. Uh, do what you're good at and the things that you're not, get someone else to do it and um, just delegate. It's mm. mm. a great lesson. Do you enjoy in your job and, um, yeah, it'll, getting out of bed isn't so hard anymore. Mm. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? So many parallels to... Uh, you know, your story about the yacht race, it's like imagine one guy or girl trying to sail one of those boats all the way to Hobart on their own and do all the jobs. Like you just wouldn't even attempt it. And yet we get into our businesses and we try and do exactly that. Yeah. So, great lesson, mate. Look, uh, thanks for coming on the show, buddy. Um, it's taken us uh, a little a little <laughs> while to get here. We even had some some uh, operator we didn't. You can't errors tell people today. <laughs> Don't tell it. We're getting a reputation as technotards. (laughs) Using some different software, and I didn't know how to drive it. But we've got here in the end, Ed. It's been totally worth it, mate. I really appreciate your time. I know you've got uh, plenty of things to do there. And, uh, mate, we'll we'll have to uh, keep an eye out um, later in the year for the the pitch at number two in the bag, mate. You know, if you win the second one, you've got to win the third and get the hat trick. Mm Mm-hmm. We'll be trying to. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. I like it, mate. I like it. Now, really, really quickly, if uh, anybody wants to go and find out more about you and your business, mate, uh, best place to do that? 
Hey, you can check us out on Instagram, McKellar Electrical. We're on Facebook or online, mckellarelectrical.com.au. M-A-C-K-E-L-L-A-R. Thank you. McKellar Electrical. Um, Ed has some cracking dad jokes on his Instagram. Oh, not another one, please. Yes. He's a fellow dad joker. building a tribe of dad jokers. Puns, plays on words, and dad jokes. Terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, mate, thanks again. It's been awesome having you on, buddy. Thanks, Ed. Thanks for having me, guys. You've been listening to the Tradies and Business Podcast with Warwick Bidwell and Nicole Cox. Find out more about today's guest, tools for your trade business and other cool stuff at tradiesandbusiness.com.au.